Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. And if you've got a story to share, please do so at adventure.church backslash my story. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so by giving online and helping us bring messages like this one to you each and every week. Today's message is from our series called This Means War, in which we're discovering that our victory isn't dependent upon what we bring with us to the battlefield, but what's within us that simply needs to be discovered. In this series, we're learning to stare down the struggle and ready the warrior within. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. And then today we're going to be talking about the final piece of armor that God gives us. And again, our text is in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. And Paul's again writing this church. He's describing to them this battle that we're in, that we have to realize we're under attack, that we're going to be pursued by the enemy. He's going to try to get us off track, but God has given us this defense system. Then in verse 13 17, through 17, he, he describes this armor again. So he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. It's not going to fall on you. You have to put on your armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil that there is going to be a time of evil. There is going to be a time of attack. And if you put on the armor, you, he says, then after the battle, you'll be the one standing firm. If you put it on, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these things, he said, above everything else, make sure you put up, hold up the shield of faith. And then to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And then he just says this, nothing else, no description. He says, take the helmet of salvation. Take it. You see, any soldier uh, would be silly once they've suited up for battle to not put on the helmet. And the helmet would always be the last thing you would put on, right? You think about if you're a skateboarder or whatever it may be, right? You put on all your stuff. The last thing you would always put on is your helmet. And no soldier would go into to battle uh, without their helmet because it would be kind of pointless because the helmet is vital for survival because it protects the brain, which is the command station for the rest of the body. So if the head was badly damaged in battle, the rest of the armor really wouldn't be of much use because the brain is what controls all of that. The brain, if it is damaged, bodily function will be impeded. And so Paul is driving home the point here that what the brain is to the body is what the mind is to the soul. The mind is the control center for the the functioning of our soul, and the soul is controlled by our mind. So he says, take the helmet of salvation because it will, you're going to laugh because I look kind of silly in this, okay? Go ahead, get it all out. Let's just look at it here. I look kind of goofy in this helmet. Some of you think I look good? Should I just... Keep it on here. It won't distract you. Uh, I got this helmet because I wear this microphone around my ear. I want to do a football helmet because that would have been really cool, right, to put on a football helmet. But this didn't cover my ears so it wouldn't mess up my microphone and you'd be able to hear me good. This is a skateboarding helmet, okay? And uh, the purpose of the reason I got a skateboarding helmet opposed to anything else besides that is that I was reading this week and I was studying and there was a skateboarder. He was 13 years old skate, at a skate park, fell like a normal skateboarder would fall, but he happened to hit his head in a specific way, and it it took his life. And they said if he simply would have had a helmet on, that's it, just a helmet, he would have gotten up and walked away. Because if the brain gets damaged, if the brain is hurt, 
it affects the rest of our bodies. And so Paul, it's, it's, it's funny that he says you have to take on the helmet. You have to make sure you put on the helmet because it's going to manage and rule over our minds, which controls our soul. You see, victory or defeat is tied to our thinking. If the enemy can get in our mind, and we've talked about this throughout the series, and I again want to encourage you, if you've missed any part of this series, uh, our media guy, Matt, he works very hard every week, spends about the full day on Monday putting together this, the video podcast with all the notes and everything so that you can stay up to date. You can listen online. All of these things, this armor is linked together. These messages are linked together. So go back and watch those things. But we talked about how the battlefield where the enemy comes at us is in our mind. If he can get into our mind, if he can control our thoughts, he can control the rest of our lives. So if, if, we can, if the enemy can get us to believe bad information, it will, it will fu- we will begin to in- function improperly. And if the mind isn't functioning properly, our lives won't be either. As our thoughts go, so goes our life. So if your thinking is wrong, your actions will be wrong. And without proper programming, if you think about a computer, your phone, if your computer gets a virus, if it gets bad information, it begins to mess up the computer. It doesn't function. Your phone won't function the way that it is, right? If, if you have an Apple phone, Apple sends out updates to your phone and you have to update the programming of your phone to ensure that it's going to function properly. And it's the same way with our minds. Paul says you have to take the helmet of salvation You have to guard your mind. You have to make sure that you're programming it properly because otherwise you won't function the way God intended you to function. So Paul is writing here to a group of people that are already saved. They've already experienced salvation. They already put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And he still tells them, even though you've already been saved, You need to daily put on the helmet of salvation. And what I think he's saying here is that you can be an unsaved, saved person because of the way you think. So he's telling saved people, you can't just have this experience where you receive salvation. You have to then think saved. Saved people have to think saved. And because of the power of the cross and what Jesus did for us, and again, kind of recapping righteousness here, that you have been made right with God because of what Jesus has done, not what you can do. And so that is how you are saved. So you have to begin to think saved. And if the enemy, because of that, because of what Jesus has done, the enemy has no longer any hold on you whatsoever. Zero. The devil knows that. He knows that he has no power over you, but I think the devil also knows that most of God's children don't know that, or at least they don't live as if they know. And so we must learn to keep our helmets buckled every day. We can't just have this one-time experience, and then he says, you got to strap it on. you got to take it, put it on. This helmet won't do me much use if I don't strap it on, right? There's a purpose to this. Otherwise, if I fell, it would probably fall off and then wouldn't really serve its purpose. So we have to strap on, buckle in this helmet every day because the enemy is firing these darts of condemnation. He's firing these, these, these darts of doubt at you. And we have to make sure that they don't lodge into our thoughts and into our minds and keep us from functioning 
as saved people. Because when you're saved, it sets you free to be all that God created you to be. Say that again. If you are saved, it has set you free to be all that God's created you to be. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm free. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I'm free. This is not an option today, folks. You need to wake up. This is the 11 o'clock service. You should have had your coffee by now. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we have to, we have to, we have to protect our mind against this. And in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 5, he says, so we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take that thought captive to obey Christ. Think about that. Every lofty opinion, every thought that says you aren't saved, every thought that condemns you, every thought that says you aren't good enough, every thought that says you'll never accomplish what God has for you, you'll never overcome these things, you'll always be stuck where you're at. He says you take every one of those thoughts and you put it up against the knowledge of God, and, and, the, and make it obedient to Christ. Our knowledge, because of the belt of truth, says that he is true. Our knowledge, because of the, the breastplate of righteousness, says I am righteous in him, not in me, but in him. The shoes of peace says that no matter what I go through, there's nothing that can remove God's presence from me and my life because I have been saved into relationship with him. He is with me, so I have peace Knowledge of who God is says that, that because I am saved by grace through faith, that I can be all that God has created me to be. So we take every thought that would, be, that would contradict the truth of God's word, and he says, and you make it, you make it obey Christ. And you guard your mind with the helmet of salvation. So let's go back and review real quick what Paul said about righteousness, that the body armor of righteousness. So Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, right? What do you have to do to receive something that's free? Nothing. It's a free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life, salvation, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 6 through 11, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right, righteousness in God, God's sight by the blood of Christ Jesus... He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So salvation basically means that you are, you're saved, you're delivered from something. And in the New Testament, it's generally used to refer to the, the deliverance from the eternal death penalty because of our sin, and deliverance into God's kingdom. So you were saved from something, death, into something, relationship with Jesus Christ. You are now a part of God's family. You are a part of his 
kingdom. And so we hear those things. Like we, we, we keep track of how many people get saved, put their faith in Jesus at our church. We offer that every week to people. If you want to put your faith in Jesus. That's why we started this church, to help people find salvation and new life in Jesus Christ. And we, we receive salvation, according to Paul, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. And then verse 10, he says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Well, it kind of sounds a little, a little tricky there, right? Well, I've been saved by faith, by grace through faith, not because of my works, but then it says, but God created me to do good works. And we talked about that last week. We have to activate the faith that we have. So salvation is by grace, through faith, to do good works. To do good works. Colossians 2, 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And so in the same way that you met Christ, grace, through your faith, is the same way that you walk with Christ. You continue, by his grace, to activate your faith. The beautiful thing about grace is, is that it has nothing to do with you. How many of you are thankful for that today? <laughs> I know I am. I know I need his grace and mercy every day. And the Bible says he gives you a new dose, a full dose, every day of grace and mercy for you. And I need that. So it, it has nothing to do with you. Grace is all that God has done for you, independent from you. So the moment you try to access, access grace by your works, you nullify grace. It's no longer grace because it has nothing to do with you. So the work we do is to express our faith, not to earn God's grace. Are you guys tracking with that this morning? Are you understanding that? So you don't tithe to earn a tithe back from God plus a little interest, right? You give your tithe because you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And so my giving is an expression of my faith, and my faith is an entry point into grace. And the grace is God's supply back to me. I think that bears repeating. So my giving, whatever expression of your faith is, your giving, your serving, your commitment to Christ, your obedience to Christ, it, says, it is an expression of my faith, and my faith is an entry point to access God's grace, and his grace is what empowers me and gives me what I need. So Paul says, that we are saved, we experience salvation. And a lot of times we can think salvation is just this past thing. But I believe it has a past, it has a present purpose and a future purpose for us this morning. And that's what I want to talk to you about a little bit as we conclude our time together. But salvation is, is not limited to this one past event or prayer. Uh, it, it's bigger than that. God's salvation is ongoing. It's, a, it's an eternal mindset that we live in as his children that enables us to enjoy and to function as his believers in the here and now. It's daily protection and deliverance from our sinful nature and Satan's attacks and schemes. And so salvation 
I believe, definitely, and, and first of all, offers us forgiveness from our past. Salvation offers forgiveness from our past. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who has put their faith in Jesus, has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself. There's that gift thing again. It's a gift back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us this task of reconciling people for him. So it says once you experience the salvation, it should compel you to share the good news that you have experienced with others. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. You see, what we have to realize The enemy comes, and we talked about this before, one of the main modes of attack that he has is condemnation. He tries to get you to believe you aren't good enough, that God doesn't love you, that his plan won't be accomplished, that you can't. He he tries to get you in this place where you're earning it, where you're working for it. And we always fail short because, we'll always fall short because we always will fail in some way. And what you have to do is is you gotta gotta think like a saved person now. Paul says you, you guard your mind with the knowledge that you have that you are saved because of what Jesus has done and not because of what you can do. So God, what you have to realize, God no longer sees you, but he sees Christ in you. So he doesn't see your sin any longer, but only the sacrifice of his son. So God views you through a whole new lens now that you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like the blood of Jesus is now this filter. And so as God looks at you, he doesn't see sin, he just sees Jesus. It gives us forgiveness for our past. Our past no longer holds anything against us. As Jesus was on the cross when his death was, was, was very near, before he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. It's finished. The war has been won. I am defeating death. I am defeating sin. It can no longer condemn anyone who puts their faith in me. Forgiveness is final. And so we have to realize, man, that that salvation gives us the freedom from our past. And some of you, you, you're continually trying to, to kind of outrun your past. And the enemy is bringing up those memories and bringing up those mistakes and continually reminding you of what you've done. And you have to begin to think like a saved person in order to function as God wants you to function. And if Satan can get into your mind and give you bad information that you aren't good enough and you begin to believe that and you begin to think that, you'll begin to live that out. So God says, you've got to get free from your past. You've got to understand that I view you differently now. I see you through a whole new lens. One of the amazing things that Scripture instructs us to do after we've received our initial salvation, after we've received forgiveness from our past, and I think why it's so important is because it kind of, as we've been talking about how we have to activate this armor and how we activate these things so that they become active in our life and that they have transformational power in our life, one of the things that that the Bible instructs us to do and actually commands us to do following a salvation experience is baptism is to be baptized, where we have this act of faith that's symbolic to our death to sin, 
and resurrection to new life in Jesus Christ, that we are, we are new in him as we begin this relationship. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus commands his followers to be baptized. He tells his disciples, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. So baptism doesn't save you, okay? Depending on your background, wherever church you kind of came out of, we don't baptize infants here because it, it has no impact on their life. We, we dedicate children to the Lord as, a, as, a, as parents, as an act of faith to say, this is how I'm going to raise my child. But we don't baptize them because in Scripture, baptism was always a decision that someone made after they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so until a child is old enough to knowingly do that and understand what it means to put their faith in Jesus, they, they, they don't get baptized. But once we put our faith, Jesus says that he instructs us to be baptized. And I think one of the main reasons why is because it is a way that we activate the salvation in our life. It's the way that we begin to think saved. It's a very meaningful experience where you bury your old self, you bury that past, and you say, that past is buried in this water. When I come up, I'm new. This past has nothing to do with me anymore. God isn't concerned about it. He's only concerned about where I'm going from now. And so as an act of faith, baptism is key in beginning to see God's transformational power take effect in our life. It's, it's key into, for us to begin to acting and thinking as a saved person. It's also a public declaration of a new association that we now have. When the Apostle Paul had his dramatic conversion, he went from murdering Christians to then evangelizing the world and writing the majority of the New Testament and being one of the greatest believers and missionaries that we've ever seen. And it said when Paul had his encounter, when he had his salvation experience with Jesus Christ, Acts twenty two sixteen, it says, Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So scripture instructs us to do this. And I think the reason why is because you are declaring to yourself You're declaring to the enemy who's out to rob you of that joy of your salvation, and you're declaring to your friends, to your family, and ultimately to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I am new in you, that I have been saved by faith through grace, not in what I have done, but what Jesus has done for me, and I am proud of that. So I make this public declaration of who I am in Jesus Christ. You know, when I got married, they tell me that, you know, you put on this ring, right? You get married, you you get ring. By the way, congratulations to Vanessa, our worship leader, and Tyler, one of the other guys on our staff. They got engaged this week, so let's make sure we give it up to them. So Vanessa has an engagement ring, right? That kind of signifies now that I got, he put a ring on it, so I'm off the market, right? Right? That's how it was for me. You see, When I got married, I was kind of this big-time prospect, okay? Had a little more hair, you know, a little bit better shape at that time. But I I put on a ring to let all the ladies know, hey, sorry, ladies, I know it's hard. You're going to get over it, but I'm officially off the market. But I'm blessing another woman with my presence for the rest of her life. (laughs) You guys know my wife. You're like, oh, yeah, right, right? 
But what, but what do we do this for? What, we put on a ring because I say, I'm hanging with someone else now. There's a new association that I have. I belong to someone else. That's what baptism is to your faith and to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Where you say, I have decided to put my faith and to live my life for Jesus Christ. You know, so many people are very loud and proud for what they believe. And baptism is is your first opportunity as a believer to say, man, I am proud, not of me, but of Jesus and what he did for me. And I am telling the world about the incredible price he paid for me and that I'm gonna live my life for him. So I wanna encourage you. Maybe you don't think saved. Maybe you're having problems getting over your past and everything. Maybe it's because you've never really gone public with your salvation. Maybe you're a closet Christian. And so there's been no power in your life. There's been been no activity of God producing his his life through you because you've never activated your faith. So I want to encourage you. We have baptism coming up in just a couple weeks, June 26th, Sunday night. We would love to baptize you here to be a part of that meaningful, life-changing moment where you bury your past once and for all. You say, I am saved, I am forgiven, I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, and I am proud to put my faith and to make that public. And so if you've never done that, man, I promise you, it'll be something you'll remember forever, and we would love to do that for you here. You can come June 26th, sign up online for that. Invite your friends, invite your family. Make that declaration, and I believe it'll be transformational in your life. So salvation gives us forgiveness from our past, but it also gives us hope in our present. It gives us hope for our present. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11, Paul again was writing. He said, but since we belong to the day, Jesus, since we're a believer, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as our breastplate. Here we go again with the armor. And then he says this, and the hope of salvation as our helmet. He says, salvation is your hope, the hope of salvation as your helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, Whether we are living or we pass, we live together with him, that Christ is with us. No matter what, he is with us here and now and forevermore. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up just the way that you're doing. It's your encouragement. Salvation is your hope. It offers you hope for your daily life that no matter what you're going through, that God is with you living inside of you, empowering you to accomplish his purpose. You know, it's been said that your perception is your reality. That what you perceive to be true will be true to you whether it is true or not. That's why it's important that we are strapped in with the belt of truth, that we know what the truth is. Because the enemy is going to come at you with lies. And so the enemy, what he tries to get you to do is to believe something that is not true. Again, if he can get bad programming into your mind, if he can get misleading information into your mind, that perception of who God is, what God is doing in your life, what's happening to you, will become your reality, will become true to you. You will begin to live as though it is true, even though it is not. You see, our minds are a very powerful thing. They control so much of 
of, of our lives. And Paul's saying your, your mind is, is, is what f- helps your soul to function as though God intended it to be. People can come under such severe anxiety, worry, fear in their minds that it literally can paralyze them where they can't even leave the house. Someone's going to kill me. I'm going to get an accident. Something's going to happen to my kid. And it's not true. But they perceive it as true. So it becomes true to them and they begin to live in a false reality. That's exactly what the enemy tries to get you to do. I know they're saved. I can't keep them from going to heaven, but I'm going to make them go through hell to get there. I'm going to do everything I can to keep them from moving forward in the purpose that God has for them. I'm going to do everything I can to keep them from experiencing life and life to the full. So salvation, when you strap it on as your helmet, doesn't just save you from your past. It gives you hope in the present because you say, I'm not going to focus on my feelings, a false reality. Our feelings are often false realities of what's not true. Instead, I'm going to focus on my faith, what I know is true. I'm not going to allow my feelings to become a reality in my life. And I think one of the biggest feelings that Satan attacks us with is fear. He tries to get you fearful. Fearful of what might happen to you, what might happen to someone you love, what might happen in your career, what might happen in your marriage, your finances. He tries to get you fearful because fear brings paralysis. When you're fearful, you can't move forward. How many of you have ever been in a position like that, right? Or like a little kid, you scare a kid, and it's like deer in the headlights, they just go, they freeze, right? That's what fear does to you. It freezes you. I can't move. I'm fa- it, it, it paralyzes us from moving forward, from functioning the way that God has created us to function. And the biggest hindrance of hope, the hope of salvation for our future is fear. It's fear. Fear means a feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something or the safety or well-being of ourselves or someone else that we care about. And then worry is to give way to that anxiety or unease, allowing one's mind to dwell on the difficulty or troubles. So when trouble comes your way, when you face uncertainty, when you get fearful, Satan tries to get you to lock in on that fear. He tries to get you to to worry and to obsess about it to where it begins to paralyze you. Worry is surrendering to our fears where we give in to more than likely a reality that's not even true. So your heavenly father, because of salvation, because of your faith in him, the Bible says he is now with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Shoes of peace say that no matter what trouble I go through, I can experience peace instead of fear. I can experience his presence instead of anxiety. But I have to strap on the helmet of salvation. I have to think as though I am saved. That your heavenly father is with you today and he will be waiting on you tomorrow. What an amazing promise from God that he gives us. What a freedom salvation gives us to have hope in the presence. If you believe that, it would set you free. It would set you free to be all that God created you to be. To fully know who he is because of salvation. You see, salvation 
not only saves us from hell in the future, but it saves us from hell in the present. Jesus said in John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Because of our faith, because of our salvation, not only does it deliver us from the future penalty of hell, but it delivers us from hell in the present. You see, Paul started this whole chapter in Ephesians, this whole description where he says, when your time with evil comes, it will come. You will have trouble. You will face the difficult times. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, if you're going through hell, because sometimes that's what's going to happen in life. You're going to go through difficulty. He says, but when you're going through hell, that's exactly it. You're going to go through it. You're not going to it. And salvation gives you hope in the present to say that God is with me, that he's shaping me, that he's working all things together for my good. That's the truth. That's the knowledge of his word. That he is shaping my life. He's maturing me to be all that he created me to be. And that no matter what the enemy throws against me, the Bible says that God will use it for my benefit and for the benefits of others. That's the purpose. That's the hope we have in salvation. So no matter what happens, Paul said, even if it's death, guess what? Christ defeated death. You don't have to fear death. It's the greatest fear we all have. If you take any fear you have and you fast forward it, it's death. Myself, my kids, my family, whatever it may be. If I don't have money, I'm not going to eat, I'm not, fast forward. It, the ultimate fear that we all have to, is death. Well, now we don't have to fear death because Jesus defeated death. Paul said to live is Christ. To live is to live for his purpose. To live is to live with him in me, empowering me, always present, always with me. And he says, and to die is gain. It's even gain. Because no longer, right? It's him with me, but then it's me with him. I get to go and be with him. He said, to die is even better. Which leads me to my last point today, and as the band comes and we close out. See, salvation gives you forgiveness from your past, gives you hope for your presence, and salvation gives you the promise of heaven for your future, for eternity. For eternity. John 3.16, one of the most famous passages in Scripture, it says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave, there's that free gift again, He gave the gift of His Son, So that everyone who believes, everyone who believes, who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, will never perish, but have eternal life. You see, if we lose hope in the future promise of salvation, there can be no security in the present. Fear will overwhelm us. You see, the helmet of salvation is is the great hope of what salvation finally brings. It gives us confidence and assurance that this war that we're in, that the struggle we're in with Satan does not last forever. That one day, because of Jesus, we are victorious in the end. You may have heard it said this way before. In the end, we win. He's already done what he needed to do. All the grace you will ever need for your life for his plan and his purpose has already been supplied for you. You just have to access it. And salvation gives you the promise of eternity with Jesus. 
See, we know that this battle is only for this life. And if even as long as this earthly life may be, Scripture says it's nothing more than a split second compared to eternity. That's it. James describes it as a vapor, as a mist. It's here one second and gone the next. And today we have hope and the promise of eternity and that we are in a war that's already been won. So that if even death comes knocking, Scripture says, oh death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? There is no sting. There is nothing that can keep you from the love of God. And you are secure. And your eternity is secure in Him. But the problem is, if Satan can get you to take that helmet off in the midst of the daily activities that you have, that you can get so caught up in this life that we forget about the life that's waiting on us. The Bible says He has prepared a place for you. That the moment you breathe your last breath, And this earth will be the moment you breathe your first breath in heaven. That you will be ushered in to completeness in Christ. You will know fully and completely the one who created you. There will be no sorrow. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. Jesus described it as paradise. That's what's waiting on those who have been saved through faith, through grace, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the promise that we have. And if we can get our focus off of our problems and our focus onto God's promise for us that nothing, even death, has no victory over us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 said this. This is why we never give up. No matter how the war is going, no matter how fierce the battle may be, says we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small. They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that is vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that can't be seen. For the things we see now, they're soon going to be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Some of you needed to be reminded this morning what's waiting for you. It's waiting for you. The promise of heaven is waiting for us. Yesterday, uh, we had a funeral here at the church. lady who attended our church, you may have asked you to pray for her before. Lindsay Ginobile passed away on Monday after she was 33 years old, five and a half year battle with breast cancer fought so bravely hard Uh, man I got to spend some time with her at hospice got to spend a lot of time with her family over the last few days just getting to know them and hearing more of their story and and yesterday her husband stood up here right here and gave just an amazing uh, speech if you want to call it shared their story and I loved how he closed it he closed it with hope and he said what got us through this battle, the last five and a half years, was our hope that you could be healed. And now you are healed because of the promise of eternity that was waiting for you. And he says, and my hope is in that I know that this isn't goodbye. 
that this isn't the end, that I will get to see you again. That's the hope that salvation brings believers, that even death, though it may separate us from loved ones for a certain time period, the Bible says that time period is a vapor. It's a mist. And one day, you'll be reunited with our loved ones for eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. So today, I don't know what you need. Maybe it's forgiveness from your past. Maybe your past still continues to resurface and it's getting in your mind and not allowing you to function the way that God intended for you to to be. And maybe it's hope for your present. Maybe you're in the middle of hell right now. Your marriage is on the brink of falling apart. You don't know what you're going to do financially. You've got a bad report from the doctor. You don't know what's going to happen. There's hope for you and now. God's with you. He's working in your life. And maybe you just needed to be reminded of the future that awaits all of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That one day we will get to experience the fullness of who God is. To know His love firsthand. To meet the one who created us. And that is a guaranteed promise that is unfailing for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ.